I invite you to take a Bible in hand if you're using a Bible from the Purak. Uh, we are looking at 2 Kings chapter 22 this evening. It's on page 329 if you're using one of the few Bibles there. This is the second to last sermon in our spring evening sermon series. We've been going through a portion of 2 Kings. The title of the sermon series was Righteous Kings. The last time we were in this uh, book, uh, several weeks ago, we looked at the most unrighteous king, Manasseh. Tonight, we get to look at the most righteous king, Josiah. Sound like a surfer um, from California. The most righteous king, Josiah. Um, Next week, we will conclude with looking at 2 Kings chapter 23. Um, what's amazing here, um, he is a great king, Josiah. Uh, he was the son of a wicked king, Amon, who was so wicked that two years into his reign, there was a conspiracy to remove him from the throne by assassination. And then there was some, would seem, a remnant of believers who... Uh, ensured that Josiah would be placed on the throne in order that David's dynasty would continue. Um, but it wasn't just that Josiah had a wicked father. His, his grandfather, Manasseh, uh, was the most wicked king. He was, uh, he was the one in which sealed Judah's fate. Exile is coming. There's no turning back. They must be judged. And it was during that long reign of Manasseh, that God said, I will forsake you. So he's the grandson of a terrible king. But as Matthew Henry pointed out on this passage, there's nothing too hard for the grace of God to do. Here is a believer whose father and grandfather were utterly wicked. And that's encouraging. It's an aside before we look at the passage tonight that no matter what your family of origin is, the grace of God can save you and reach you. Now in our covenant theology, we believe that uh, the grace of God works through families of origin and we expect the children of believers to come to faith, but also we shouldn't be terribly surprised that when God rescues sinners from absolutely the worst homes and lives. And here's an example with Josiah. Josiah reigned from 640 to 609 B.C. Our passage tonight is when he is 26 years old in 622 B.C. Before we pray again and read God's Word, let me give us just a brief kind of overview of what we're going to look at in these 20 verses. In verses 1 to 2, you have the typical, what we see in First and Second Kings, the summary of his reign from the beginning and then a statement about was he a good or a bad king. And then in verses 3 to 7, we see King Josiah instructing Shaphan, his secretary of state, to go handle a matter concerning the repair of the temple in verses 3 to 7. And then as Shaphan goes on this work, 
uh, in verses 8 to 10, the high priest, Hilkiah, comes to him and says, hey, I found something in the house of the Lord. It is the book of the law. And Shaphan reads it, and then he reads it to the king. And then in verses 11 through 13, we see that Josiah himself, having heard the book of the law read, repents, a righteous king repents, and then sends court officials to seek a prophet. And then in verses 14 through 20, somewhat surprising, we find out that the prophetess is the only time that this prophetess is mentioned. It's Huldah who gives a message from the Lord. That's an overview of our passage tonight. Before we read it, let's ask for the Lord's help. Please join me in prayer again. Our great God, this is your word, and it has revealed your will for us. And as we just sang, we do desire that your will would be done. Your good, righteous, wise, and perfect will. Help us to walk in obedience, to be hearers and doers of your word. Help us to receive it, to digest it, to apply it to our lives. And we are incapable of doing that without your Spirit's help. So would you, Spirit, give us illumination to what you have revealed, that we might walk in the truth, that we might trust the Savior, and that we might live for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God from 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshalem, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have oversight over the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters, and to the builders, and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave to Shaphan and he read it. Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Hakim, the son of Shaphan, and Akbar, the 
the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hukiah the priest, Nekim, and Akbar, and Shaphan, and Asiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harris, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. She said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Amen. That ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Well, once again, we get the fuller story of these kings' lives when we do a survey of what is told to us in 2 Kings and then also in 2 Chronicles. And so, uh, there are some pieces here that uh, the writer of Kings leaves out, and I'll reference those here in the beginning. But I want to begin by saying, do we have any eight-year-old boys in the room tonight? If you're an eight-year-old boy, please raise your hand. One, two, three, four... There's a couple. Could you imagine my eight-year-old boys in here being king at the age of eight? Some of you are thinking, what a disaster. It's pizza and chicken nuggets for everyone. It's (laughs) video games and water guns and who knows what. Do we have any 16-year-old young men in here tonight? If you're 16 years old and you're a young man, would you raise your hand? One, two, a couple, a couple. And 2 Chronicles 34 says that Josiah was 16 
when he started to seek the Lord. Crucial time. Today we call it adolescence into maturity and to own your faith and to choose to seek the Lord. Josiah says, began to seek the Lord at 16. Do we have any 18-year-old young men in here? 18-year-old, raise your hand. There's a couple. An 18-year-old king, Josiah, it tells us in Chronicles, began to purge the land, the remnants of idolatry. And you'll see next week that it wasn't just in Judah. He actually went up to the northern kingdom, to Bethel. And he went after there the, the altar and the, the calves that Jeroboam had established when the kingdom split. What a righteous king at the age of 18, attacking idols that had plagued God's people. Now he's 26. For all of us, our 8-year-olds, our 16-year-olds, our 18-year-olds, and every person in this room, here is a, a redefinition of greatness. The world wants to tell us greatness is according to their terms of success and prosperity and fame and power, but here is greatness. A man who seeks the Lord man who seeks the Lord unwaveringly. That's what it tells us here in the text. In 2 Kings 22, verse 2, look back there with me. Speaking of Josiah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. Now there's only eight Righteous kings identified in Judah. And of the eight, only three are compared to David. Asa, Hezekiah, and then Josiah. But Josiah seems to be compared to David in an extra special way. He is almost to supersede David in his greatness before the Lord. I say that because of what follows. It says, that last phrase in verse 2, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. That is not said of any other king of Judah or Israel. That he never turned aside to the right or to the left. That is a phrase lifted from the book of Deuteronomy. It's important Tuck that away. It's from the book of Deuteronomy in several places in where Moses is laying out the covenant with God's people and he's laying out the commands and blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. There's the refrain not to turn aside to the right or to the left. But here's the only king that is given that designation. So in the summation of David's life, it says that he sought the Lord and he was a good king. And then also the writer of Kings says, except for that episode with Uriah. And then even in the life of Moses, we see a great failure of unbelief and disobedience. 
So in a sense, we could even look at Moses and say that he stumbled. But Josiah said that he never turned to the right or to the left. Is it an expression of unwavering, unswerving devotion to the Lord and to his word? It's Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 20, that says this is the standard for the kings of God's people, that they are not to turn to the right, but to the left. Here is the standard of greatness. He led his nation in seeking God. Now, what's interesting is that Josiah's reforms, if we follow the, the chronology of Chronicles, began at 18, and here in chapter 22 of Second Kings, He's 26 years old. So now this outward reform and reforming the religion and the worship of God's people has been underway for a couple years. But the author of Kings presents the reform as beginning here with the recovery of this book of the law. And it's intentional. And we must ask ourselves, why? Why leave out the other parts? Well, when we get to the next chapter we see that he does confirm what Chronicles tells us. And he catalogs all the reforms. But as he introduces us to Josiah, and as he tells us the type of king that he is, describes his reign, he wants us to begin when he's 26, when the book of the law is recovered. Why? The author wants us to see the word of God at work in Judah's greatest king. The author wants us to see the power of God's word at work in Josiah's heart and mind and how then it flowed into his reign and leadership. There's something of this young leader who then is equipped by the word of God to do what seemed to be a near impossible task Remember, he's coming on the heels of Manasseh and Ammon. And now he leads a reformation. The reformation begins with the word of God. It is the word of God that is at work. Let me remind you of words, inspired words, to another young leader, a pastor this time, the young pastor Timothy, the apostle Paul's disciple. And what does Paul tell him? Timothy's pastoring, he feels Overwhelmed. This is too much for me. So what does Paul tell his disciple? 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. And that's such an important verse for us that we understand the inspiration and the giving of scripture from God, that God is the ultimate author of all of scripture. But Paul brings it up And that's something of the the foundation, but his real point for Timothy is that it's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy, you're a young pastor. You have a tall order before you. The word of God is everything you need for that task. The author of Kings has a similar message. When we want to appreciate the greatness of Josiah's reign, 
He wants to make sure that we understand the source of this righteousness and greatness. The word of God is what makes sinful men into men of God. The word of God makes the man of God. And we could say it, it is the word of God that makes sinful women into women of God. It is the catalyst. I need the word of the Lord. You need it. If there's any reformation that it does any good, it will only be reformation that comes from and is according to the word of God. So, it's our first point. You need the word, but maybe we can qualify that a little bit more. In verses 3 to 10, I want you to see that you need the whole word. That's the first thing for us tonight. You need the whole word. Now, you've got to love the narrative as it comes together. Josiah sends his secretary of state with a message to the high priest. And he says, we need to get moving forward with the work of repairing the temple. It's been in disrepair. And it would seem that there are those who are responsible, particularly it could be Levites who have not been doing their duty. And so Josiah pulls a page from another young king, King Joash, who that when he ordered the repairing of the temple under his reign, he said, this is what we're going to do. As people come into worship, we're going to set up a box and that they're going to be able to give freely to the repair of the temple. But we're going to cut out the middleman. We're not going to have a general contractor, and we're not going to then have subs who sub and sub and sub. We're just going to go straight to the guys who know what to do. And we're going to give them the money and say, buy the, the supplies and do the work. And Josiah is fed up with the state and the condition of the temple of the Lord, the house of God. And so he says, let's do this. And it would appear that maybe Hilkiah as a high priest is one of the remnant. He's faithful. And he's been watching the boy king become the young man king to become 26-year-old king. And now he says, it's time. Or maybe in the course of beginning these repairs, as they go to collect the money that's been collected, they discover a book. It could be that there's a faithful priest who's been stewarding this, hiding it away, or it could be that it genuinely at some point was hidden or just lost through neglect. There's a book of the law of the Lord. And Hokiah brings it forward. Why was it lost? Why was it hidden? Well, just remember the decades of wickedness. And this law of the Lord would have condemned Manasseh and Ammon. It would have condemned the practices that they allowed to take place in the house of God. The building of pagan altars on the temple grounds. And numerous other wicked things that happened under their reign. 
So, it could be that this book of the law of the Lord was pushed to the side out of neglect, out of chosen purposeful ignorance to it to avoid what it had to say. Or it could be that there were those who said we must preserve it. We know that if Manasseh and his goons get a hand of their hands on this, that they're going to destroy this because it condemns him outright. I'm nearly certain that what was recovered was the book of Deuteronomy. And I, I say so because it's in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 61, and Deuteronomy 29, verse 21, that Deuteronomy refers to itself as the book of the law. And this is what Hilkiah brings to Shaphan and says, this is what I've found. I've found the book of the law. And here, Shaphan brings it. And in its recovery and in its reading, it is the catalyst for reformation. Now, something for us to ponder. Josiah is on the right path, seeking the Lord, getting rid of the idols. But Josiah needed the whole testimony of God. He needed all that God had revealed and preserved in writing to that point. He needed the whole counsel of God that had been set down and preserved in Scripture. And particularly, he needed the instructions of Deuteronomy where it spoke of this is the type of king that God wants and demands over his people. This is the type of king and gives the king guidelines. Josiah, I'm sure, had some semblance of the Scriptures available to him. And it was leading him on the path that he was on, training him, equipping him. And now comes the book of Deuteronomy and it becomes clear. You and I need the whole Word of God. You really believe that? We need Genesis to Revelation. In it is everything that we need for life and godliness. In it is everything to prepare us for heaven, to prepare us to fight sin, to equip us to love one another, to serve our neighbors, and to fulfill the Great Commission. But oftentimes, my concern is that we go out into the battle, half-equipped, not making use of all that the Lord has given us in the abundance of riches in His Word to equip us for what He's called us to do. You need the whole Word, the whole counsel of God to make you a whole Christian. You know, there's more than one way to lose the Bible. And the day that we have it on our smart devices and stacks of it in the pew in front of you and in your home, it's not a matter of we can't find a copy of the Scriptures, but I'm concerned and convicted that there are portions of God's holy, revealed will in the Bible that we neglect. We need it all. 
It's for our good. It reminds me of a a t-shirt that I once saw my nephew wearing. It was a picture of T-Rex with his short arms. You know, T-Rex, Tyrannosaurus Rex has short arms, at least we think he did or she did. It says, T-Rex can't pick up his Bible. What's your excuse? I'm not trying to guilt you into reading God's word. Just want to remind you of the treasure that has been preserved for you. I want you to plead. I want to plead with you to read it and read all of it and read it daily. Read it often. As one of the Bible translators back in 1734 once wrote, Thy whole self apply to the text. The whole thing apply to thyself. You need to read the whole word. And then, you need to let the word read you. That's the second thing I want us to see. This is the way I'm articulating what we see of Josiah's response to God's word. In verses 11 and then in the words of the prophetess in verse 19. You need the word to read you. Sinclair Ferguson often talks about the the gem and the the jewel that we have in God's word. And he speaks of it in this way, saying that it's the only book that reads you. And this is what we see happening in Josiah. Look back at verse 11, chapter 22. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. This is a symbolic action. It is a, a, he's taking his official garments and he's rending them. It's a sign of grief and sorrow. It's a sign of mourning. But what we see in the words of the prophetess in verse 19, it was a sign of his repentance. Look back at verse 19. Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, It was an outward sign of what was happening on the inside of the king. The word of God was searching him. And it's interesting, his response isn't, okay, this is good and helpful. It will lead us forward in this work of reformation and getting the nation back on track. No, the first thing is that, just like in James chapter 1, when he encounters Deuteronomy, it is a mirror to him. In James chapter 1, it talks about don't be just a hearer, but be a doer. How can someone look at a mirror and forget what their face looks like? That's what someone who hears a word but doesn't do it. There's a mirroring work the Word of God does in each of us. I can't discern my sinfulness in the depth of my corruption, but the Word of God shows it to me. It reads me. Or in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it discerns my thoughts and intentions. So this righteous king, he is in grief and sorrow and upset, thinking about the sins of his grandfather and father and other wicked kings, 
but it says that he is penitent himself and humble. 2 Timothy 3.16, it's reproving him. It's showing him his errors. It's correcting him. It's fixing what is broken in his heart. God's word leads us faithfully to repentance. I can't rely on my own mind and heart to walk the way of repentance. You can't either. We need the word of God to search us and to show us our sin and to lead us in the path of righteousness. And here is the greatest king Judah and Israel ever knew, confessing, repenting. If you have a faithful diet of God's word, it will produce repentance. And if you don't find yourself in a place of continual Repentance. What is your diet? What is being produced in your life? The word of God will search you. So here is a model of how to respond to God's word. Humility. Go to it to learn. Go to it that it might read you and show you your sin. You need the word of God to read you. The third thing I want you to see in this passage is that you need faithful messengers of the word, verses 12 through 20. What's fascinating here is that Josiah doesn't just take the reading of the word. He seeks the office of a prophet. That in this time in redemptive history, there is the high priest who is doing his role to some extent. There is the king who is seeking to do his role according to God's word. And King Josiah, the righteous king, doesn't overstep his bounds and realizes that he needs the word of a prophet. Now what's fascinating here, and I don't know what to make of it, He goes to this prophetess who's only mentioned here. Now, I say it's fascinating because Zephaniah the prophet overlapped with King Josiah's reign. And it could be that Zephaniah has retired from public ministry of God's word. But Jeremiah's around. Jeremiah is kind of the the counterpart and largely to the public ministry of Josiah's reforms and the ministry of God's word. And so, why not Jeremiah? I don't have a good answer. But these officials, these court officials who are commissioned to go seek out and inquire the word of the Lord from a prophet, they go to Huldah. She is married to, it seemed to be a court official. This court official who is in charge of keeping the royal wardrobe. And the best I can see is that she has demonstrated herself to be a faithful mouthpiece of God. 
she has through the years demonstrated fidelity to the word of the Lord and is willing to speak God's word that he gives to the prophet no matter what the consequences may be. And so it would seem that she is chosen because of her demonstrated faithfulness. The court officials say, we have this book of the law. We need some help. We, we feel the king has sent us to, to hear from the prophet. We need a reliable source. And she does. She says, yes. Yes, disaster is coming. There's no turning back. That what happened under Manasseh, the Lord will keep his word. Exile and judgment is coming. And there is a little bit of mercy to come. That God will delay this judgment because of Josiah's repentance. You and I, it's not just me and the Bible. I encourage you to read it for yourself, cover to cover, over and over again. But God ministers to his people as a community, as a body. And in that day, the prophet had a role to deliver the word of God to God's people. It was a word for everyone, but also God raises up messengers for the good of his people. And he still does that today. And so as we study God's word, we do it as a people together. We do it in Bible studies together. We come and we sit under the preaching of God's word together. We do it gleaning from the ages of those who have studied and preached God's word and written about it. And we learn it is God's gift to each of us that it's just not, here's your Bible, go live the Christian life. It's that we all have his word. We study it, we sit under it. And that one of God's kindnesses to his church is that he continues to raise up men to open God's word and proclaim it. That he continues to raise up men who are to devote themselves vocationally to the study of God's word in order to benefit your walk with Christ, that you might be equipped for the work of ministry, Ephesians chapter 4. You need the whole word of God. You need the word of God to read it to you. You need faithful messengers of the word. And then, something of a curveball in this passage, maybe, the fourth thing and the last thing for us tonight, and we'll close here, you need a redeeming word. Of all the greatness that we've thought about Josiah, there's not a full redemption in this passage. The word of the prophetess is that disaster's coming, there'll be a slight delay. There's no hope, but here's a little bit mercy. During Josiah's life, the disaster will be abated. One Bible scholar said it in a very provocative way. Josiah's 
Reformation, in one perspective, is an exercise in futility. Exile and judgment is certain. And it's fascinating that Josiah, having received this word of disaster to come, still moves forward in obedience. But, as another has said, Josiah is a king too late. Judah's fate has already been sealed. And to be certain, there's so much of King Jesus that we see in Josiah. He is a signal of what is to come in so many ways. Earlier in the book of Kings, did you know that generations before Josiah takes the throne, his reformation was prophesied and prophesied by name, saying that a king Josiah would come and would purge the nation of idolatry. Oh, he was a king that was foretold to come. And then what we'll see next week in 23 particularly, he doesn't just repair the temple. He cleanses the temple. And then, having read Deuteronomy, he reinstitutes the Passover. Oh, Josiah signals so much of King Jesus to come. But I don't want to get too far into chapter 23. Let's stay in chapter 22 tonight where Josiah is only a reformer, not a redeemer. Part of the testimony of this portion of our history, of the church's history, the history of the people of God, that we need a perfect king that our salvation cannot come from us it must be coming from without then within that God must send his son to save a sinful people Josiah is a reformer he's not a redeemer his repentance and his reforms they secure temporary mercy for God's sinful people. Oh, but we are here tonight because Christ's obedience and sacrifice secures eternal redemption for God's sinful people. And it is only, only in King Jesus that the fullness of God's mercy is revealed. And it is only in King Jesus that the fullness of God's mercy is offered to you and I. Amen. Let us pray and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word.
And we thank you. Oh, that your word does not end in 2 Kings, but it goes on to tell us of David's descendant who would take the throne and reigns right now. We thank you that we have a full word that tells us of the living word that we might partake of eternal redemption and that we might serve your kingdom. We ask that your kingdom would expand in our hearts, that its reign might go further in our homes, in our lives. And that through your word, working through us as a people, leading us in repentance and reformation, and Lord, we plead with you for revival, that you would continue to gather the elect, those who you have ordained to bow the knee to King Jesus, before the last day. Yes, that your word would send us forth this good word, a gospel word. You save sinners like us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.